right now it's Perry and Shauna replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Well, as you probably know, it's Black History Month. The bad news is that we still have racism in our country. The good news is that you and I can do something about it as followers of Jesus. And I've got my good friend, Dr. Derwin Gray, with us. He's the co-founder and lead pastor of Transformation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And his church is just so beautiful. It's a church of every color and every generation. And Derwin is just an amazing guy. He graduated from BYU. He played professional football in the NFL, five years with the Colts, one year with the Panthers. And I just love this brother, and I love having you on the show, my friend. Yeah, Derwin, let's talk about Black History Month. Why do we need a Black History Month? You know, I'll play that guy, okay? I don't want to be that guy, but I'll play that guy. Why do we have to have Black History Month? You know, that is a great question. And as a as a black man, it's one that kind of gets tiring of answering because you feel like, you know, it's kind of like answering the question, is water wet? It's like, well, yes, it's wet because it's water. And so when you look at the United States of America, uh, I love my country. It's a great country. But like all countries, there are the good, the bad, and the ugly. And a part of the ugly in our historical understanding of America is there were black men and women who contributed greatly to the success of our nation, whose voices are hidden figures, so to speak. There's an incredible movie that described uh, what the race to the moon and to outer space and how there were black women who were mathematical geniuses who were in essence whitewashed, erased from history. Yeah. So black history month is just a time to say, Hey, America belongs to all of us. And there are segments of Americans, i.e. black Americans whose voices were silenced or erased and black history month is a time to say, wow, let's acknowledge our fellow Americans who happen to be black, who have contributed greatly to this nation. Um, I'm thinking of Crispus Atkins, that at the Boston Tea Party, he was the first person to shed his blood and die for what would become the United States of America. And Crispus Atkins was described as a very large, powerful man. He was about six foot one, which was huge back then. And he was bi-ethnic. He was Native American and he was black. And it's ironic that the first person to die and spill blood to make America America was a person who was Native American and black. And when you look at the history of our nation, which is a young nation, the people who have suffered the greatest on this in this nation have been black people and Native Americans. And so it's important for those voices to be heard. And so in order to have a healthy family, you have to sit down at the dinner table and talk about the good. You got to talk about the bad and you have to talk about the ugly because the history that we don't talk about and learn from, we're victims to repeat it. And I think we're actually seeing a lot of that in the United States of America today. Like who in the world would have thought that in 2017, we would see neo-Nazis marching in Charlottesville, Virginia. 
in World War II, America literally went to racist Nazi Germany, defeated Hitler and his Nazism and racism only to have neo-Nazis marching in the United States of America. If we don't learn from our past, we're doomed to repeat it. Who would have ever thought that on January 6, 2021, a Confederate flag would be in the U.S. Capitol? And for people who may not understand history, the Confederacy was a four-year-old seditious movement, treasonous movement that did not want to be a part of this great experiment called the United States of America. It's actually a traitor's flag that represents enslaving black people who are made in the image of God. So who would have thought that these things would be happening, but not only are they happening, they're happening at an, at an exponential rate. Mm-hmm. And so it's important for us to learn from our history. Any healthy family celebrates the good, talks about the bad and laments over the ugly, so we don't repeat it. My brother, Dr. Derwin Gray, I'm listening. I'm leaning in and listening. And I think that as a white follower of Jesus and your brother, that's my role. I want to listen to you this morning, and I look forward to everything else that you have to share. You know, there is racism in America, but you and me, as followers of Jesus, we hold the key to healing the racial divide. It's the gospel. It's the Spirit of God. Just thinking now about Galatians chapter 3, it says, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. That's what unites us. Our differences are beautiful, but what unites us is that we are all sons and daughters of God through faith. Those of us who have trusted Jesus, I have, Derwin has, you have. And it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel is upside down from this world. And so I'm just, Lord, just show me today how I can create a bridge. Show me today how I can reach out in love to somebody different from me. Maybe it's a black person. Maybe it's a Muslim I don't know, maybe someone from a different socioeconomic status. Show me how I can take that step. So Derwin, I know that great injustices have been done to black America from the start with slavery right up to the present. But can't we just move forward? So here's the thing that I'm finding is when people get uncomfortable about the past, they don't want to talk about the past, but they sure want to celebrate the things they're comfortable with from the past. And that's typically what an immature child does, is I want to talk about the good things, but I don't want to talk about the bad things. History history is alive with us in the present. Let me give you an example. So in World War II, 1.2 million black American GIs went to Nazi Germany with racists to defeat Hitler and his demonic regime only to come back to racism in the United States of America. But a part of that racism was expressed through the U.S. government. 1.2 million black GIs were promised the GI Bill to buy homes 
But 1.2 million black GIs did not get the GI Bill. And after World War II, the suburban housing boom exploded. And it was primarily white GIs who participated in that. Home ownership and land ownership is how um, wealth is transferred generationally and accrued. And so you had 1.2 million black GIs and their descendants who did not get to participate in that. So it's kind of like playing Monopoly, which I love. And it's really unfair if you play Monopoly and a person goes around the board two times, buys up all the property and says, hey, what's your problem? Why can't you win this game? But what I have found is that many believers will often look at that and dismiss it instead of lamenting it and going, you know what? You're right. Hmm. I didn't cause that, but I did benefit from that. And I should lament that and move forward to walk humbly with God and to love justice. Justice is what love looks like in public. Justice looks like Jesus feeding the hungry. Justice looks like Jesus um, healing the sick. That we have a God who cares not only about the soul of man, but the whole of man. Yeah, so here we are. I'm a white man, a white brother. You're a black brother. We're brothers in Christ. And Amen. And so you've just shared this with me, the great injustice done to black GIs after World War II and what should come out of me is, man, I didn't know that. And that has to be really painful for you still as a black man. And I'm so sorry that ha- that happened to your people. And, you know, Derwin, how can we yeah. move forward? Because I see it now. I get it. That was wrong. And that's part of your story. And I'm so sorry. And so how can we move forward together as brothers? Yeah, thank you for your compassion. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So I think the first thing is lament, that we mourn and lament a great injustice. And we go, wow, I'm sorry. And then after we mourn and we lament, we begin to leverage our lives to get together as brothers and sisters as kingdom citizens to say, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere, as Dr. King said. He has showed you and me what is good, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. Help me do that today, Lord. Let's let's take a deep dive here. A lot of injustice has been done Massive injustice has been done to black America from the start. Slavery is one of the original sins of America. And the injustices have continued right up to the present. We have made progress. So how do we move? How can we move forward in light of the story of your people? I think also, my friend, is when we look at the injustice towards black Americans, we should say this is an injustice towards us all because we are America. And so we have to see this as an injustice against me. One of the things that I've written about in my book, How to Heal Our Racial Divide and in other places like The Good Life, is oftentimes we look at the person who's receiving the injustice and the dehumanization of it. But it is equally, if not more so, 
dehumanizing for people to to perpetrate injustice and oppression and abuse. Sin dehumanizes the sinner. And so it works it works both ways that we want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so the way we move forward is we look back and we mourn and we lament, but then we walk into the present and say, today is the day that we choose to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And if you don't know what that means, just read the story of the Good Samaritan. In my book, How to Heal Our Racial Divide, I spend some time in that story because Jesus gives us the template of how to have ethnic reconciliation that's more than just words. And if I could, just walking you through it, Jesus in Luke chapter 10 is having a discussion with religious expert. The religious expert tells Jesus what's the most important commandment, and Jesus does the Hebrew Shema. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors you love yourself. And then a religious expert says, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into a story where he talks about a Samaritan who did not pass an injured Jewish man by, where a priest and a Levite passed a Jewish man by, but the mortal enemy, the Samaritan, did not. And when you look at that time, when Jesus was born, there was a 700-year ethnic feud between Jews and Samaritans. In 722 B.C., the Babylonians carried the northern 10 tribes into um, captivity and diaspora. Over the generations, the group called the Samaritans, these half-breeds, came into being. And there was this ethnic feud. So for 700 years, there was deep ethnic hate. And Jesus tells a story about a Samaritan who's supposed to be the enemy who stops and he helps a Jew. But it wasn't just in word. He bandaged his wounds he put, he put wine on the wound, oil on the wound, put him on a donkey, and actually paid for him to stay at a hotel, right? All those things cost money. So it's not just what you say, it's what you do. But then here's another cost. Can you imagine when the good Samaritan went back to Samaria and he tells the other Samaritans, hey, by the way, you know, the people that look down upon us as Gentile dogs, uh, I helped one of them. And that's what Matthew 5.44 means. But I tell you, love your enemies. And that's not what the church in America does. We're more satisfied with a very thin gospel that says, okay, I'm forgiven. God's going to help me out my problems and I'm going to live my best life. But when it comes to the deeper aspects of discipleship, I don't know how much we're willing to pay that price, not the price of salvation, but the price of following Christ. Because Jesus did say, pick up your cross and follow me. And a cross says, I'm putting down my preferences and picking up my mission to be a reconciler and a justice bringer Well, it's the blood of Jesus that makes us one. It's the spirit that makes us one. And so we can't just stop at coming into God's family. We got to be God's family together with our differences. That's kind of what the Bible says. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) And I never thought about the pushback that the Samaritan guy would have gotten, you know, going back to Samaria and saying, 
I just helped out one of our hated enemies, you know, the pushback that he got. And so, you know, as we move into being reconcilers and peacemakers and those who want to bridge the racial divide in our country, I, as a a white man and a follower of Jesus, I'm going to cross that bridge. I'm going to do everything I can to bridge the racial divide in our country. And I personally am willing to pay that cost. I want to dip into this conversation. And let me start here. Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is not a Republican. As a follower of Jesus, I need to be rooted in the gospel, not in my political party. And what the gospel does to me, it humbles me and it exalts me. It humbles me by telling me I am that sinful that Jesus needed to die for me. And it exalts me because it says, God has loved me that much that he was willing to send his son to die for me. And so that, that it's a humble confidence that is our true identity in Christ. And what politics does, it creates this, I'm better than you, whether I'm on the right or on the left. And anytime we think we're better than, that's not the gospel. Yeah, you, you know, and, and, and I think what you beautifully stated there is really important. And if I could just color in a little bit to what you said is the gospel is a declaration that Jesus is Lord, God and King. And he accomplished that through his sinless life, his atoning sacrificial death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. And all those who trust him become a new creation with a new power, a new purpose, so that his kingdom could come to earth as it is in heaven. Most evangelicals in America view the gospel individualistically. Jesus forgave me. Jesus did this for me. Well, why did he do that? So you could be salt and light so that the church could bear witness that he is indeed Lord. You know, it's we are addicted in the West to a very individualistic gospel. We say things like my personal relationship. Well, biblically, it's called the new covenant. A covenant means God has made obligations to me by grace through faith. I'm to respond by grace in faith in Christ. But it's also about me and my brothers and sisters. Have you ever seen one brick and went, that's a temple? No, a temple is made of a lot of bricks. Well, the temple of God is all of us, not just one of us. The church is all of us, not just one of us. The body of Christ is all of us, not just one of us. And so um, individual salvation only exists so God could make a family and this family exists to display the glory of the Father in every facet of life. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what I'm saying is that it's the gospel, when it goes into my heart, that creates the attitude that I need to interact in love with not only people in the family of God, but those outside. Yeah, John 17, right? Our unity bears witness that the father sent the son. You will know my disciples because they argue with each other on Facebook about mask. <laughs> no, it says because they love each other. And 
I, I think this is really important, and I have found this to be successful in our congregation at Transformation Church, but also when I travel and speak around the country. The Church of Jesus Christ has been around for 2,000 years. Republican and Democratic politics as we know them are less than 100 years old. So that means that 99.999% of all followers of Jesus have never been Republican or Democrat. Yet, we're going to tell people you can't be saved unless you are a Republican or Democrat. Um, That's called works-based salvation. How myopic and arrogant it is to deduce the glorious kingdom of God to American political categories, which are new kids on the block. The kingdom of God submits to no one. When you look at the early church, it grew rapidly in the midst of a brutal Roman empire. The church of Jesus Christ survived uh, Muslims' invasions. It survived the craziness of the dark ages. It has survived communist China. The fastest growing conversion rate in the world is in Muslim Iran. Uh, By 2050, one in three Christians will be a Nigerian woman. The church is flourishing in just about every part of the world except for Europe and America. Talk about what's happening at Transformation Church, which is multi-ethnic, multi-generational. And I was looking online and you just recently had a baptism service and people of all colors being baptized. And it's just a beautiful picture of what the body of Christ should look like. Well, thank you. We, uh, when we planted Transformation Church in 2010, we wanted to be a New Testament church. And to be a New Testament church meant this, that King Jesus is on full display, that his glorious gospel is communicated, and that his multi-ethnic church is built to be a community of missionaries. And the Lord has blessed us that not only do we look like every nation, tribe, and tongue, but Jesus is exalted. The gospel is communicated. But we also do things like one Christmas, we paid off $4 million of medical debt for citizens in the state of South Carolina. Um, We have a free grocery store called the Hope Dealers Market that we started during the pandemic because we said, Jesus would not want people to starve on our watch. So we've started a free grocery store that is sustained by the generosity of our church. Uh, We do backpack meals at 10 public schools that we've adopted. And it's, it's just been incredible. Over the last 13 years, we've seen over 7,000 people come to faith. We've baptized over 2000. And this Sunday, uh, was baptism Sunday. And before our 11 o'clock service, I said, uh, I sensed the Holy Spirit saying that if you want to be baptized at the end of service, we will baptize you. And at the end of service, the service wouldn't end because people continue to want to be baptized. They wanted to identify with the Savior, his life, his death, his resurrection to go public with their faith. And you had black people, white people, Asian people, Latino people, young people, old people, middle class people, poor people, rich people, all types of people. And that matters deeply to a skeptical world that says Christianity is divisive, 
is racist. And we're here to say, no, it's not. We're not perfect. Only Jesus is. But we want to follow him and rely on him so that he is glorified. And God has blessed our church. During the pandemic, we actually grew immensely. Um, we had to hire people on on staff. And so God has blessed us immensely and we don't take it for granted. And we know that our blessing is not just for us. We want to be a beacon of hope to say church in America, it is possible. The recipe is King Jesus is exalted. His glorious gospel doesn't just forgive sins, but creates a family with different colored skins. And his family goes into the world, reaching the lost, enacting justice, sacrificing deeply, loving compassionately. And it's possible. And we're a living testimony to his grace. You know, it's one thing to say, let's have a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-economic status church like the body of Christ, it's another thing to actually have one. How do you move Mm -hmm. from that vision to reality? Well, you pray and it starts with your leadership team. Uh, People who have positions of authority and influence have to reflect the congregation that you want to see. And then secondly, Mm -hmm. it's reflected in the culture that you create. Culture means behaviors. So we want to create a gospel culture shaped by Galatians 3, 28 and 29, which says there's neither Jew nor Greek, free nor slave, male nor female. So our ethnic distinctions aren't obliterated. They are celebrated. Mm -hmm. Classism is crucified. Sexism and misogyny is crucified. Men and women are co-heirs in Christ because we're one in Christ and we're all children of Abraham. And, And so the practices that we practice flow out of a gospel culture, which is rooted in the vision that Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. And all nations is not just across the sea, but across the street. That our future in a new heavens, new earth is every nation, tribe and tongue. And so there are specific practices that we do, but those practices flow out of a gospel vision and a gospel culture. And is it easy? Heck no. Mm. But why would it be? The devil's angry, Mm -hmm. but God is greater. Mm. My African-American brother, Darwin Gray, he's the lead pastor of Transformation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you can find out more. I encourage you to get a hold of, he's got a bunch of books, but on this subject of racism and bringing together God's people, having this kaleidoscope, this beauty of God's people, uh, there's a couple of books, How to Heal the Racial Divide and Building a Multi-Ethnic Church. Find out more at derwingray.com. Thanks so much for listening. Questions or comments, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.